and welcome. My name is Randolph J, and you're tuned into Mondo Rando Radio and the best of what's out there on MidtownRadio.ca. The premise of this show is a simple one. Each week we'll be hosting intimate and interactive chats with familiar friends and fascinating strangers about their passions. Could be rock climbing, gardening, Star Trek, or anything else that gets them excited. Our guests are sharing their fondness for the various subjects that help shape who they are, and occasionally they may even share their strategies for dealing with everything else in life. It's a relatively new show, and your feedback is more than welcome. Find us on Facebook under Mondo Rando, on Instagram at Mondo Rando Radio, and you can email us anytime at mondorandoradio at gmail.com. Our special guest today is good friend and model airplane enthusiast Will Dixon of Cambridge. Will will be sharing his experience, knowledge, and expertise in the fine art of model airplane construction. So without further ado, please enjoy this brief conversation with our good friend, Will Dixon. Uh, So Will, tell us, what is it about airplanes that gets you so excited? I'm not sure. I've always looked up. Um, (laughs) If I'm outside, I'm I look at what's around me. I seldom look down. I usually, this is probably why I trip on things, but I've always been attracted to the sky. Okay. Um, my dad was interested in airplanes, but he didn't chase them, you know, quite as much. Um, I know he did, you know, he's an enthusiast as well, but when he had kids, you know, you got to work, you got to do that. Once he figured out I was into airplanes, well, then all bets were off <laughs> and off we went. That's really um, cool. Uh, I grew up, uh, where the Toyota factory, uh, basically on the south side of the Toyota factory, not on the property, but just across the street from it now. And uh, facing north was the airport. Mm. And back then, you could hear the airplanes when they were on the runway getting ready to go. So if we heard anything the least bit unusual, we were like either in the backyard trying to get a glimpse of it, or dad would just throw us in the car <laughs> and drive <laughs> up there. Now there's, um, there's an app that I use um, that uh, I can kind of sit on my couch and see what's flying pretty much anywhere on the planet. <laughs> but I, um, if I hear something weird fly by or strange or, or unique, I will run outside. And now I run outside with my phone because I can look at the app and see if it's showing, if it shows up on radar, depending on what kind of aircraft it is. Mm-hmm. I can kind of look up in the sky and go, Hey, that's a such and such, you know, something, you know, I just identify what just flew by and see if it's worth running up to the airport or where it's headed or. Yeah. What does it, what does it take nowadays to get you? Cause you've seen every kind of airplane probably that there is at this point. So what does it take to get you excited enough to run outside? It's gotta be low enough flying that you can see it. Um, if I hear something unique that I've not heard before, mm-hmm. that's a guarantee off the couch or wherever I'm doing and out the door, usually with my dog, Molly, because I used to take her out at the airport, so she would bark at the airplanes as they'd go by. So she knows that if there's a helicopter and an airplane and it's loud enough, it's kind of a contest between the two of us, whose ears go up first. Right. And then who kind of makes a run for the door. <laughs> so your ears must be pretty well tuned at this point. Or, or do, do you get out for a lot of lawnmowers in the summertime? Just I hate that. Lawnmowers <laughs> <laughs> are the bane of my existence when it comes to chasing airplanes. Um, yeah, that can get me. Um, yeah. But every once in a while, you'll see something go by that you've never seen before. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of neat. We're in a unique spot here because we're an hour and a bit out of Toronto. Um, we've got the Brantford Airport. We've got the air park in Guelph, which is basically, which is actually an airdrome, which is kind of a rarity. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a small little airport um, with a lot of character and yeah. some very interesting things going on. But you got Hamilton um, as well, Ancaster. I, you know. I, I've gone to Hamilton. Um, I volunteered at the Warplane Heritage um, uh, for almost 10 years uh, while I was working in aviation. Um, and that itself was a whole unique experience. Oh, um, bad. That's a whole story for another day. Well, no, we can, we can, we got the time, man. We got the time. I was going to say, I went to, I was in the X-Men film. I was just let you know the first, the very first oh, X-Men yes. movie. I was Were in. Were you in the scene at the museum? I was in the scene that they did at the, they filmed it at the museum. It's an outdoor scene. It's supposed yep. to be Miami. And you don't see me. They put, they dressed me up like a chauffeur and everything, but they sat me ah. behind the, I was, I was driving the limousine that drives some politician to the airport. And I'm just driving the limousine. You can't see me, but that is me driving the car. I only got that gig because I was working in the funeral business at the time. And the guy I worked for, you know, would hire out limousines and hearses for films. So that's, that's why I got that. Ah. But it's a great, it was my first time there since I was a kid, because my dad was also big into airplanes and it was my first time out there since then. And it is, it's an amazing place. Yeah. They've, um, They've got a lot going on. They always have something interesting going on. And as a, you know, someone starting out my career in aviation, I volunteered there um, just with the hope that I could get in and on, you know, on the ground level and do something. Um, I was so, about to say, if you're dealing with airplanes, it's best to get in on the ground level. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You don't want to rush into anything. Yeah. So tell us about your career in aviation. How did you get started? Um, and what did you do? Uh, I went to college in Toronto, um, Centennial College, if I can put that out there. Um, They have a course both for aircraft technicians, mechanics, and then they have um, the avionics side of it, which is aviation electronics. Mm -hmm. Um, At the time, I mean, we're talking a few years ago, GPS was new. We actually didn't cover that in our course, (laughs) which really got me. I mean, it was fascinating, obviously. Um, But we learned a lot of analog stuff. Uh, civilian aviation still today are flying aircraft that were produced between the fifties and the Mm seventies. The newer stuff is coming on and and it becoming more popular. Um, but you still had to go if you were working in general aviation, which is non-airline stuff, um, or, or business stuff, uh, you were starting with the smaller aircraft. Um, so you had to learn how all that stuff worked, you know, mm-hmm. and that's what they taught us in school. That was a, a great experience. Um, it was basically a two, a three-year course. They had recently crammed into two years, and it was like working a nine or ten-hour day, depending on what course you had on what day. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a lot of theory, and they didn't have fancy graphics or powerpoints back then, so there's a lot of drawings. Fair enough. Um, so you got into so you graduate and then where you go? Well, initially I didn't work in aviation. I ended up finding a a warehouse job until I got into it, which was okay. actually a couple of years, a number of okay. years. Oh wow! Um, okay. When I finally did work at the airport, um, it was for uh, um, an FBO, which is a fixed base operator, mm-hmm. uh, who had uh, hangar facilities, uh, mechanics, and an avionics shop attached. Okay. To it. And where was this? Um, 
Um, it was just a stone's throw from the Warplane Museum, actually. Oh, nice. Okay. Uh, so after work, I'd go over and look over the fence, or if it was open, I, I got my membership pretty much immediately when I got the job. And, you know, on Thursday nights and, and, and weekends, uh, I, you could go in and help volunteer and work on those aircraft. So, yeah. yeah. Um, let's see. I worked on um, all kinds of smaller aircraft from, you know, the average Cessna um, uh, to some of the twin engine uh, um, air, private aircraft. Oh, so these are prop um, planes primarily? Pretty much. Yeah. Um, and there's a, there's a decent variety, mm-hmm. you know, and there's always different versions and newer versions. Um, um, uh, the most recent aircraft I had worked on uh, was a business jet that was literally a week out of the factory mm-hmm. uh, when someone down there realized that they forgot to put a diode in line with a radio in some circuit. And it's like, boss throws me this little bag with a part in it and says, go nuts, you know? So, ba- so basically they forgot to put in FM. They, it was just AM or like what? <laughs> <laughs> Something, you know. Something like that. <laughs> That's kind of cool, uh, though. It was neat. Um, I actually got to um, take the whole control panel apart on some aircraft hmm. and basically rewire everything. Oh. Um which was a lot of fun. It's, it gave me an appreciation for a long-term project. Um, aviation, <laughs> aviation is, uh, especially when it comes to maintenance, is, is seldom a quick fix. It's either fixable really quick or it could take a while. Yeah. Um, because you need to get the correct parts. You need to get everything in place and make sure it'll work, um, let alone trying to figure out if the new radio or the new altimeter will work with the old system on board. And if it doesn't, you might have to replace that part mm-hmm. <laughs> with aircraft, let alone space missions. Everything has to be certified to the nth degree. Um, if they're making bolts, nuts and bolts for aircraft, um, you can buy the same, <laughs> it looks like the same thing at Home Depot. But if it's going into an airplane, it has to be quality inspected seriously well. And the cost is usually, um, you know. The so, quality is reflected in the price. Yes, yeah. because that bolt can't fail. Yes, and that's the thing about flying. It is still uh, such an absolutely terrifying thing when you when you when you imagine there's a multiple thousand pound piece of steel hurtling at hundreds of miles an hour or even dozens of miles an hour above mm-hmm. your head yeah. and and were it to fail were that bolt to go that's it for this neighborhood and everyone yeah, on board it, it could come down to that i I used to watch the TV show Mayday. But I rarely got through an episode without being morbidly fascinated (laughs) from an aviation point of view. We did case studies in college where basically, you know, they would they would investigate an accident to discover why it failed. Mm -hmm. And they would go all the way back to the guy and to the to the bolt that failed Mm -hmm. and where it was produced and what batch it was from to uh, what they call human factors, which is the study of how basically the human is functioning in this scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, the human being is, in a sense, one more bolt. Oh, it's yes, it's an integral part of the process. If you've been working night shifts and come back to days, 
uh, and the light, you know, and this was part of the one study we did. Um, the lighting in the hangar where they were doing the prayers was crap. In the part room, it was worse. The guy couldn't figure out the bolts he had. So he picked one that was a tiny bit shorter and made all the difference. Back then, it was all done on paper, too, you know, mm -hmm. in our example. Um, that's an amazing amount of record keeping because mm -hmm. you've got the serial number for a batch of whatever that's been made what day, what, you know, tested by whom and, and all those things. And then everything I ever installed, I had to sign off on. My signature was on that saying mm -hmm. that this is safe for whatever use. Right. And I remember the Hanes lady that used to, you know, go over every set of Hanes underwear and she had to stamp that this is approved by Hanes. If we don't say Hanes, they don't say Hanes. I, and she had a lot of pressure on her. I can only I imagine <laughs> what the level of pressure is on someone that is uh, verifying and validating and stamping. Yes, Will says it's okay that this goes on this plane, which is going to go in the air and fly over your house. Yeah. And since I was an apprentice, my mentor or manager or boss basically had to sign off on it too. Mm -hmm. So he had to check my work to make sure I hadn't screwed up something or missed something. So he was on his game. Yeah. I don't know if I, I mean, I'm not a pilot, yeah. did <laughs> you ever, that, but I know how things work. Well, now let me ask you this. Did you ever consider becoming a pilot? I did. Um, I had glasses and early on, which didn't help me um, mm -hmm. back then, you know, um, I also, so I didn't have the money for flight school, which mm -hmm. uh, is a common issue with, you know, people, but you know, if that's where you want to go, I wanted to know how everything worked. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it'd be fun to fly, but, uh, I always like knowing how things worked and, and wanting to, you know, see what, what did what. So walk us through a few of your favorite planes. Let's see. One of my favorites, um, as happens with uh, people who are in, who are in, in aviation, um, the owner of the company where I worked um, wanted to buy something fast, something fun, and something historical. He ended up buying a 1950s propeller-driven fighter. Oh, wow. <laughs> that was actually, uh, the aircraft type was used by the Royal Canadian Navy, the, uh, the Hawker Sea Fury. Okay. Um, so being a history buff as well, that was just like, I had hit the jackpot, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it didn't have the original British engines because they tend to be very intricate and, um, intricate and complicated. Mm -hmm. Um, this one had an American engine in it, but it was a total monster. It was basically a racing plane. He flew it to air shows and I wouldn't, you know, I would see him come in at an air show in New York state. And it's like, Hey, I know, that guy. Oh, and, you know, and, and I got an opportunity to work on that airplane. So it has kind of a, a special spot, uh, for me. Very good. Um, that, the sound it makes. I mean, I've stood, you know, 20 feet off the wing when they've done engine tests. You know, they literally had to chain the tail to the ground so it didn't flip over. Oh, wow. Um, uh, because the engine was so powerful. It would, um, like, nose over. Mm -hmm. um, uh, that was a, a, an experience. That's something, you know, when you're that close, you mm -hmm. know, you don't forget that kind of thing. So, um, and then there's the... I would not say nostalgic, but, you know, uh, again, I use the car, you know, you know, car guys as a, mm -hmm. an analogy. I see that shape and it does something, you know what I mean? It's like, that's awesome, you know. 
as a fan of airplanes, a, a lot of the model builders out there would really envy your history of being able to physically work on these airplanes. And I know that uh, the engineering is a huge aspect of what you love about the planes, but the fact that you are also a model builder and that you've got a big community of model builders around you. How did that start? Did that, was that a childhood thing with your dad or? Yeah, it was a childhood thing. Um, my dad uh, built models, um, ships, boats, uh, planes, cars. Uh, he did that before, uh, you know, before us kids came along. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he ended up putting a bunch of those in the attic. Um, you know, the typical, oh, look, we found something in the attic store. Uh, when I was probably, I was younger than I was. I was under 10 years old. We found a few of his model airplanes and started showing interest in, you know, what, what are these things? They look like miniature whatever yeah. <laughs> over you, the age of the glue. And You say we, is this your, your brother or your sister? Or who's my this? brother, um, I have to, uh, uh, two brothers. My uh, The middle brother, Jason, he's much closer in age um, and uh, is more into to automobiles than I am. The joke okay. at our house is... Um, I'm into airplanes. Um, my youngest brother, Jonathan, is into trains. And my brother, Jason, is into automobiles. Oh, excellent. That's kind of so, cool. That's a, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of airplane glue. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, they didn't build as much as I did. Okay. Um, I kind of, seeing the stuff in the sky and, uh, you know, in my dad's kits, it kind of piqued my interest. So I started looking at books and... We had seen some uh, some interesting things go by because back then, if an airliner went over the house, um, even on the way to Toronto, you'd hear it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it would be loud. So <laughs> not like the quiet ones we have today, where if you know, if you're not outside, you probably miss it. So um, my my grandmother and and my and father. Uh, started buying the odd kit for us. My, my grandmother worked at uh, Kmart, which is uh, which was then Lulu's afterwards, and now there's all kinds of different businesses. Um, and uh, we used to go pick up grandma at the Kmart, and there'd be just a whole shelf, you know, 20, 30 feet of plastic models back then. Do you remember what your first one was? Um, my first kit was a Skyhawk. Um, it was a, a Douglas A4 Skyhawk <laughs> built by the model company Airfix in England. Okay. So for those who don't know what that plane is, what is that? Is it a, a war plane? Is it a, what is it? It is a, it is a jet fighter. Um, okay. it was used in Vietnam. Um, it was used for a time by the, uh, it's been used all over the world and there are still some flying today. Um, uh, in an air force, um, which is, you know, airplanes, if they're taken care of, can last for a great deal of time. Like cars and like trains and like ships. Yeah. But you can't let it atrophy. You've got to maintain it. You've got to. No, you have to, you have to keep on top of it. All right. Okay. So the, this is a plane that is still used today. Uh, and so you got this model and you were 10. Yeah, I was maybe nine, 10. All right. Um, I still have a piece of it two pieces oh. of it in my model collection parts box. I kind of <laughs> kept it for memorabilia. What I've done is actually, I found a newer, more modern release of the same mold of the same kit. Okay. Um, that has since been re-released as a, 
you know, uh, you know, kind of harking back to the original and I'm actually doing it up with all the skills that I've learned since. So I have my original one, which is basically no paint, <laughs> lots glue of and, of glue on it. Glue and plastic and slammed I, together. I have the new one, which looks like a miniature version of the real thing. Oh, wow. So I'm going to put that on a, a little display someday, you know. So, so now you have at this point, so this is when you're 10 and you're my age now. So 40 years on top of that, you've got, uh, how many models would you say in your home? In my home. <laughs> oh, you have a special hangar elsewhere? For I more? actually have offsite storage at a friend's house. <laughs> um, the internet is a horrible thing. Um, especially in the early days. um, 20 years ago, I was, I was young, single. Um, I had my own PC and the internet was starting to get interesting. Um, and eBay happened along. Mm -hmm. Um, it was a corrupting influence to tell you the (laughs) truth. Um, since I had my own vehicle or even when I was in school, I would, you know, dad and I would go to the hobby shop. Mm -hmm. You know, suddenly the hobby shop is on a screen in front of me and people don't realize that people who've born, you know, ordering things on Amazon. Um, when eBay showed up, I was single. I had some spending money and I suddenly had worldwide reach. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and a hobby is it's up, a hobbyist dream. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like I could finally get something from the other side of the planet that wasn't available here, which made it even more exotic and exciting. And I'm sure you're seeing stuff there that you didn't know existed. Entirely. I was getting stuff from everywhere and at reasonable prices before, you know, this is before the postage rates were insane as they are today or the shipping. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so, okay. So I noticed you avoided the question of how many planes we're talking about. uh, That's because I don't want to get in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> no one's gonna um, hear this, this, it's like, this we'll, is no a one's whole other sub <laughs> subculture in the hobby industry is you have collectors and then you have builders mm-hmm. um given the time span i've been doing this there are times when i've built like crazy there are times when i've built very few um or or had or not had time to work on mm-hmm. um i amassed a collection that rivaled the local hobby store at one point. Um, As it's turned out, um, I have more kits uh, than I could ever build in my lifetime. So are you able to, are you able to work on more than one at a time then? um, What I, what I end up doing and, and what I do most of the time is I will work on an assembly for one aircraft. Mm hmm. Um, and often those assemblies have to be completed before you go on to the next step. So if I have to wait for the glue to dry on this engine assembly before I can attach it to the wing, mm-hmm. I will go on to the next, you know, I'll do the other wing and I will find all the little things that I can do in that process and then move on to maybe another aircraft that's at a different stage. Now, do you stick um, with the same scale when you're building now primarily, um, or do you jump around different scales? Uh, it depends on the subject. Um, mm-hmm. I used to build almost exclusively a one seventy second scale, which is basically one foot. Uh, you know, um, 
if it was 72 inches in real life, it would be one inch in the model. Mm -hmm. Um, now if it's a subject that I, uh, I'm especially fond of or interested in, I will build it in, uh, uh, a bigger scale, which may be, you know, a half size or two times as large, mm -hmm. um, just so you can get a little bit of extra detail. It looks more like a display piece mm -hmm. or, you know, <laughs> certain designs, um, Saab, Saab aircraft, um, Saab designed aircraft as well as cars. Um, and there were unique in the world. Um, uh, especially their uh, their fighter and defense um, aircraft. Mm -hmm. um, being a neutral country, they have a self-defense force rather than a, a standoff army, you know, mm -hmm. an air force. And uh, so I, I have a larger version of that just because it's such a neat, unique aircraft mm -hmm. um, that I have a soft spot for. Mm -hmm. um, I... Uh, I considered going into the military myself. I mm -hmm. could have been an aircraft technician. Um, I'm a little too tall to be a pilot mm -hmm. um, in a lot of aircraft. I'm six foot three. Um, you know, certain aircraft, you get into them, but the smaller ones are really, really crowded. Mm -hmm. um, I have long legs, and if I got into a Cessna with a friend, depending on the version of the aircraft, I couldn't sit in the front seat because the control columns would come down on my knees when he tried to turn the airplanes, mm. you know, turn yeah. the airplane. So, well, what's interesting, um, you say how big you were then, but now that you're building models, you're so much bigger than the plane. <laughs> you that that has before. its own problems because now these are so much, you know, but I'm sure, I'm sure over the, the years, and I don't remember this being so hard. Yeah, but you got big hands, and I'm sure over time you're, you've developed a real sensitivity and a dexterity when it comes to building these tiny, intricate modeling parts. I mean, it's its own it's its own skill. Definitely, it's a fine motor skills. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if if you you know you have to figure out how to get these two things together, and then you know, um, one of the best things and 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 my favorite things is my my peers and my friends and, and, and the people I've met through the hobby. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I, I, um, after starting building model airplanes, uh, we would go to the hobby stores. Um, one of my dad's uncles took us to the, uh, the air show at the Hamilton airport in, in, in their very early 1980s. Mm -hmm. um, when, when we would get together with uh, my, my fellow builders, whether we built cars, tanks, boats, whatever, there was always a kind of camaraderie or fellowship because um, mm -hmm. we all did the same thing. Um, it wasn't like you could hop on Facebook and join a group for this. Mm -hmm. um, in 1987, I was at the library looking at airplane books and I ran into a fellow who's been a good friend ever since. Um, and he happened to hang out with a couple of guys on Friday nights who basically sat around, talked about life and built models. Mm-hmm. Those are some of my, you know, I was, I was in high school. Right. Uh, these are still good friends to this day. I mean. Well, it's common interest. You have a common interest and it is a kind of, it, it sounds to me like a very supportive community, the air, air the model builder. And, and, and as you say, it's not just model planes. You're dealing with other model builders. So the connection is more about the, the actual construction of these, these pieces as opposed to the history of a particular thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
I mean, we have, I have a, uh, one of our friends builds this type of aircraft. Uh, the other friend likes trying new things and he'll find something either in a book or on the internet and he'll try it and then he'll show us how it went and how it worked. Um, with our different specialities or, or, mm -hmm. or interests, um, we end up learning new techniques. Mm -hmm. We can, uh, you know, if we have a problem, we can kind of put it aside until we get together and say, Hey guys, what do you think about this? Can we do this? Or yeah. that's so a great, a great exchange of information. Well, and I was like, so, so somebody tool. shows up with a magazine article about this. Somebody shows up with a new tool. Somebody comes in with, you know, a, um, an airbrush. Um, yeah. you know, I mean, a lot of us started out just, painting with little bottles of paint you'd get at the hobby store. And then as time went on, you got better quality paints, um, you know, and, and it's an evolution of your own skills and your interests. So you're always building on what you know, um, which is an adventure on its own. Do you, do you still get together once a week or because um, the pandemic shut a lot of things down? The though. pandemic really put a squash to that. When I was, when I was single and had my own apartment, if I was home on a Friday night, I would say, hey, you know, guys, I'm here. Let's go, you know, and um, whoever showed up, showed up. We'd talk, we'd talk shop, you know, whatever, chit chat. We'd have some snacks and we'd, we'd hang out. Yeah. And they bring their, their big, bring their models and work on them there. I have, or? I have a, I have a handbag. My wife sells handbags on the side and um, it has the two or three kits that I'm working in. And then I have a toolbox that I take with me and it has everything I need to do a remote build. Um, so basically we could be sitting in someone's basement at a table or at the kitchen table or basically using, um, you know, the TV trays. Mm-hmm. Um, sit around and watch a movie or just whatever and, and just go. I mean, um, obviously when you're putting things together, you know, you, you run into fit issues or depending on the age of the kit, some of the newer kits are so well engineered and the CAD, the computer aided design in the newer models is exquisite. Um, or certain companies just have a better reputation for making something that goes together and just kind of fits. Mm -hmm. Um, the actual process of building something really works for me. And that's what I really enjoy. I have usually four or five kits on the go mm -hmm. at any time. Now that could be from the point where I've opened the box and started clipping parts off of the trees or, or oh, I remember that you parts get those, together yeah, that, that's to, fine. okay, the wings are on this and they're drying and I can't really hold it because it's going to move, you know, so I'll put that one aside and like I said, I would work on different parts of kits. Um, recently I've had a backlog at my paint booth with my airbrush. So I literally have 10 kits that are ready to be painted or, and a couple more that are in several different stages because you can only do one color at a time. And then you have to either mask them or, you know, make sure that the the new, the next coat of paint doesn't overspill. And then there's the maintenance of the airbrush and different things like that. Um, you know, I come home from work and I have a cut, you know, if I have an hour, it might not be enough time to do that process. So I end up putting that off until I do have time. So there are a number of kits in various stages lying around on shelves and, you know, a couple on the bench and one in the paint booth usually because I'm running out of space 
And then, you know, I get another kid in the mail and Tammy, my wife is like, Oh, are you going to finish the one you already started? (laughs) I'm not going to start this one. (laughs) Not for a while. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Tammy is great. And I I can only imagine, I'm sure there are a lot of hobby widows out there that are sympathetic to Tammy and what she has to deal with as far as these kits arriving. (laughs) Yep. Well, um, that was, it's always been a a subject of discussion because, you know, (laughs) I I used to, I used to say, and and my friends in my hobby group that I've been a part of since, you know, 1987 have always, and their, and their spouses, because the spouses would get together in the earlier days and and hang out and talk while we were Mm -hmm. doing our thing. It was a great social aspect, but they would rather have us in the basement messing around with planes, trains, and automobile models then out say maybe getting drunk out of our minds or yeah. or doing things that maybe we you know are a little less productive it's a, it's a sliding scale of appro- of approval <laughs> yes um when when that $200 kit from from Germany arrives that can be a little awkward not that i've done that <laughs> as far um, as we know yes you know uh and as long as you know Tammy's schedule, you know when she's going to be home and we'll be able to get the mail. And <laughs> Well, yeah, you can always have it delivered to your friend's house. Yeah, get no, post office. <laughs> no um, I, I rarely buy new kits anymore because oh, I yeah. have such a, you know. Um, and, and on that note, too, um, I amassed a lot of kits. Um, but over the past 15 years, knowing that I'm not going to be able to build them all and having some rather rare subjects, um, I've turned around and gone to hobby shows around the province and, and bought a vendor's table, um, oh. kind of like at the flea market. Um, and at a hobby show, you know, you've got all these people who are displaying their works of art that they've spent the last who knows how long creating. Mm-hmm. And then you have the vendors and, uh, of course, the unique stuff um, goes like hotcakes people mm-hmm. are like somebody made a model of that oh cool um but early on in that experience and i've been doing it i think for more than 10 years i think 15 years uh, on and off depending on weather because mm-hmm. a lot of these things happen in the winter or the fall mm-hmm. or, or the early spring um i've met a lot of people with varied interests uh in the hobby so mm-hmm. that gives us you know oh you like those two and then you start a conversation and then you make a new friend. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's a hobby group now in Preston, uh, with the hobby store there. Um, and we get together once a month and we talk models, what's new, what's, you know, or whatever else. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a great common ground. It's like finding your people. It's a great deal of fun. And now I have friends all over Facebook and now, um, during COVID, for example, um, you couldn't go to these events. They didn't have the events. Mm-hmm. Um, we did have several Zoom meetings during the course of uh, the pandemic um, with the local groups. But it also gave us an opportunity, if you were part of a Facebook group, if they, if they had an open um, event. Um, there's a group in the United States now that uh, I've made several friends with, um, you know, just hopping on and you know, talking, talking the hobby and, and now there's, you know, other people who are interested in the same aspects. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Facebook itself, um, has been a great, great resource for that zoom meetings. Um, I think at least once a season, I try and get on a zoom meeting uh, with guys down near Florida. Um, and, 
you know, show what I've been working on and they all, you know, do a little show and tell and, and then somebody will end up talking about what, uh, what they learned or, or what new tools they have. There's right now, there's uh, a few of the higher end tool makers mm -hmm. uh, or there's companies that have come up and started making some really unique and adapted tools for the hobbyist. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, they're a little more expensive, but they can, you know, they may do things you've always wanted to do and not had the proper tool for. So it's kind of like, um, woodworking tools, um, mm -hmm. uh, dent, dental picks, you know, we've always kind of uh, used whatever we could find. I mean, I used to hold airplane wings together with clothes pegs. Mm -hmm. Well, you, well, you repurpose what's available um, to do the job find. of the tool. Yeah. Um, I had, I had a friend, uh, start a, a small business. Basically he would, uh, put a uh, plastic sandpaper on two sides of another piece of hard plastic and make mm -hmm. a sanding uh, plate, mm -hmm. which is a great tool mm -hmm. um, and has a lot of different uses. Well, I imagine we all start off making a, doing the tools ourselves, making a homemade tool to do the job you need to do. But then when you find out a company has realized that tens of thousands of hobbyists have built their own version of that. Maybe we should standardize this and make something that's oh, er ergonomically comfortable and, you know, checks all the boxes as far as what yep. people are looking for. And, and then they, that put, comes then out. they come out with something even better and you're like, woohoo, you and have to just you know, a, go and buy it. <laughs> it's party day in hobby town. So it sounds to me, it sounds like the community that you've, you've developed and you've become a part of is very inclusive and very, very welcoming. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I would say um, it has its moments, but uh, I'm sure you know, it's everything. Like, you know, the car guys give the airplane guys a little trouble, and then there's a guy who builds, you know, armor and tanks. You know, there's a you know kind of a fun rivalry between us. You know, well, fun rivalry reserve, that's fine, but it's, it's, yeah. but it's is it, I'm sure, and with most hobbies, everything's a little on a cliquey side. You know, you get these groups that don't like these other groups, but for the most part, it sounds like you guys have kind of a of a nice, easygoing, friendly relationship yeah i have a friend who uh who recently joined a group he didn't know these you know these groups existed and he's been he's my almost my age you mm -hmm. know so he didn't realize that there was a group in town um, in cambridge you mean in cambridge or kw oh, wow. or or in the region okay um and he's 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 coming out to some of the group meetings now and he's thrilled terrific because he's found his people that's <laughs> people <laughs> Um, I, I was saying earlier, when I go to the hobby shows, uh, whether it's in uh, Newmarket or down in Hamilton at the Warplane Museum, uh, most of them are annual shows. They've had them in London and Guelph. Um, mm -hmm. uh, there's one up at the airport at the Air Cadet Center. Um, uh, you run into people you've known for years and that are building stuff, and it's great to just talk shop and, mm -hmm. and catch up. So, Yeah. That's really great. Now, if, if if someone, if there's a young person or a not so young person out there that's always been interested in model building, uh, how would you encourage them to get going? Because I can imagine it would be pretty intimidating if you've never built a model. Everyone is going to start off at the 10 year old level as far as glue versus plastic goes. Mm -hmm. So it, there's got to be a learning curve and no one's going to, no one's going to be brilliant at it right out of the gate. So we just, we want to be encouraging of people to, you know, cause making mistakes is just part of life and it's not something but, to be afraid of. I mean, I don't care how old you are or how experienced you are. You can screw up a model at any age. <laughs> 
um, depending on your experience and know how whether, how you recover from that or you learn how to recover from that. And that's part of the growing experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, if I would say if you're a young person now who's getting into it, um, find a subject you like, reach out uh, or visit the hobby stores. If you can find a smaller hobby store with that's dedicated to hobbies, they can point you in the right direction. And we've got some good hobby stores in the region, do we not? Yeah. Um, we've got one down in Preston here in Cambridge. Um, they've been at it for years. They've recently changed location and are very friendly and supportive. And if you uh, talk to them or anyone basically in that store, they would probably point you in the right direction. And, which, store, which store is this? Uh, Forbes Hobbies on uh, King Street. Okay. Downtown Preston. All right. Um, yeah. Uh, they have everything you need, um, kits from beginner to expert and beyond. And uh, some of the newer kits for beginners are fantastic. Uh uh, they're engineered now so that you can literally, you know, they used to call them snap tight, but now um, you can get a really good kit. As a young, as a young kid, um, I tried to build flying models, which is a whole other story. Um, oh, like, you much mean more RC short-lived and, like, and, and embedded in the backyard. Do you mean RC <laughs> models, planes, or do you mean like those balsa would wind up? Balsa, balsa aircraft. Uh, yeah. uh, I didn't get into remote control. Um, Back then, the electronics were heavier and much more expensive than they are now. Oh, it was um, very prohibitive. Now you can buy one made out of styrofoam that'll fly as soon as you charge the batteries. Yeah, that's, that's where's the fun in that? That's yeah. That's, I'm sure it's still fun. What am I talking about? It still looks but, like a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, like I, I, when I was younger, I, I looked up, I saw those planes going, and wondered where they were going and coming from, and what they had seen. You know, if if they could see, yeah. you know, the people on board. You know. Well, I've always so, been, I've always dug the, uh, not so much from a warplane perspective, but I've always dug biplanes. As I, I told you, my grandfather was a, a pilot in the first world war and he flew biplanes and then he taught pilots in the second world war. And they were more of the, you know, they weren't biplanes at that point, but, yes. but he used to, after the war, he would have, uh, he had a marina up in Bala. He ran the marina. And I've got some photos of this plane. It was a biplane, but it was a passenger plane. And it would hold about eight people and a pilot. And oh, he would wow. fly people back. This is back when getting up to Bala and the Muskokas was not as easy. To, it was not as easy to drive up there. So he would fly people back mm-hmm. and forth. And it just, there's something really romantic about biplanes to me. I just, with the goggles and the scarf and you think about Snoopy and the red bear and there's something really kind of, yep. I, um, I don't know. And, and the risk and the danger and the getting well, the mail the in. And, um, Canada isn't a whole lot older than the airplane and Canada true. being so big. Um, the airplane was an integral part of the exploration and expansion. Mm-hmm. Um, the, from a history aspect, uh, the stories and, and adventures that pilots had, you know, going into the backcountry and flying over the north, uh, whether mm-hmm. it was for surveys or fishing trips or looking for places for mines and resources or logging, um, the stories are fascinating. Sometimes really these are. guys had breakdowns and they had to fix things right then and there. Yeah. My, or my, or uh, have grandpa. someone come and get them so they could go out and get a part and then come back and do it. And trying to lift an airplane motor off an airplane to fix it in the woods. Yeah. Took some, uh, 
you know, took some thought and some uh, ingenious ideas. I took mean, they would cut down trees and make, you know, hoists. Well, my dad told me that uh, my grandfather, when he was flying up north, he had a, it was a it was a biplane, a passenger biplane, but it had was on pontoons, so it would mm-hmm. land in the lake because there were no real airfields up there. You just land in the lake. And he would tell me that there would be times you'd fly up there and the the water was so still and so so clear and so glassy that you didn't know where the water was. So what he would do is he would take uh, the seat cushion from the plane and just throw it out the side of the plane. And then yeah, it would I land. Thought- and then you would see where the water line was. So he could then circle back and land at the surface of the water based on this little cushion. I thought that's genius, but how do you figure that out before it's too late and you realize you've got to do something? So you just, before you run into the trees at the shore of the lake, the, the, the the Um, idea that someone realized that that was, I just thought the, the, it was an ingenious solution to a problem. Um, Yeah. And I've heard similar stories of pilots doing that, but they have a small bag of stones that they would keep tied up until they needed them. And then they would lob a handful out just so they get an idea of how low they are. Yeah. Um, That's, that's not something your instruments can tell you when you're that close to the water, especially back then. Well, that's almost pre it's, it's more of a, of a a visceral pre analog. I mean, we talk about digital coming from analog. There's also the human instinct of how, how life and nature and, and physics work. Exactly. Because you're literally, and then that's what they, the term seat of the pants flying comes from. Mm-hmm. You are literally out there with whatever you've got around you. You can feel everything the airplane's doing. And it's kind of like driving, you know, if, if you, you learn how a car handles, a pilot learns how an airplane handles mm-hmm. and it becomes almost an extension of themselves, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, and the fact that we can't all be pilots, we can't all be engineers. Mm-hmm. The fact that we can, we can build a model and you know what, just talking to you, I haven't built a model plane since I was probably, you know, 11, 12 years old. I want to go and get one now. I really do. Cause I used to have a, I'll well, probably have something here in the stash, but we just come. No, no, no. I, 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 I used to, cause I remember I had a mosquito, that I really oh, love my dad. My dad helped me build a mosquito when I was a kid, and I and it's long since gone. So I think I might try to track one down of those. Maybe build that. Yeah, I, I got to make sure I get the glue globs just right because this one was well, covered with globs of glue. <laughs> I didn't glue do. has changed uh, since back when I was building kits, and, and sure when you were, um, we had a little bottle of. T- I'm sorry, a little. It was like a mini metal it tube. T- it was a tube, but like yeah. a toothpaste tube, mm. and it was thick and it was globby and it was hard to handle. And, and you, you had, had to, to be like, in a ventilated a area. Ventilation was now, everything. Now you can get uh, the same kind of adhesive uh, Mm. for models in a bottle and it's a liquid. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the glues I use right now regularly, and there's two or three different grades of it because of its thickness and its adhesive ability and how fast it, it causes the the plastic to bond. And, you know, you get into the science, they get into the science of it and Mm -hmm. they start making things better. Um, The glue that I was uh, used is from Japan. And what they've done is, They've made a glue that basically you hold the airplane parts together if it doesn't, you know, in whatever way you want it. Um, hopefully there's pins inside to make everything line up properly. Mm-hmm. And what you do is while that's together, you take this liquid on the little brush that comes in the bottle and you dab it into the seam mm-hmm. and it runs along the seam and does the bonding for you. Wow. 
no more globby stuff like back. Yeah, but in the day. but you have to stuff you, that you, would melt your brain. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say because there was a lot of that back then, as far as it was a dangerous chemical. Yeah, uh, and I imagine is it still a dangerous chemical? I imagine is it not? Um, like the stuff that you're talking about. They've done a lot of uh, a lot of work to weed out the nasty stuff. Right, from, okay, but you still need. Do you still need ventilation? Do you still need all that stuff? Uh, the only time I use ventilation is when I'm um, working with a lacquer or an enamel-based paint now, mm-hmm. and I've since switched a lot of it over to acrylics, which don't smell nearly as bad and won't. Mm-hmm do as much physical harm well and the, and the um, tubes will tell you right obviously if you're going to make a model follow the instructions on the chemicals that you're using use them appropriately yep. if it's wear, gloves, ventilate, ventilate, wear mask. gloves masks goggles uh, when i was building flying models they had uh, they had a clear product called aircraft dope which was used on the real airplanes that were covered with you know metal frames with fabric over the wings oh yeah um and that stuff would that could give you a good headache, <laughs> mess with you for a little while. Well, it was um, it was notorious. I mean, if you've seen the movie Airplane, he actually refers to at one point sniffing glue. <laughs> he talks yes. about um, that was a concern because young people were building model airplanes and getting a little. I don't know. Stoned. Yeah, I can't say I was ever that far. Well, they were doing, a, but it was a lot. They were harming, them. They were harming <laughs> themselves. It was very bad. Yeah. It was a real kind of a pan, uh, not a pan. Uh, that's the word now. Pandemic kind of became a bit of an epidemic for a while. And so hopefully, yeah, hopefully those it, days it are behind. An addiction us. thing. I mean, I'm not certain how severe it was. Yeah. Um, so there's always someone who takes it to an extreme. Yeah. But uh, yeah, um, the products nowadays are a lot easier and. Especially with things being international, um, I couldn't get my favorite paint for almost 15 years uh, because it didn't meet Canadian health standards. Hmm. Um, they've since reformulated it, made it or, into a better paint. Oh, and I think you said they've since dropped the standards, so everything's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's kind of like lacquer thinner for, you know, you can buy it at Canadian Tire. If you yeah. were to get a five-gallon drum of it from somewhere, it would probably come with a hazardous waste uh, pamphlet. Yeah, but it's true, of an, it's true of any hobby if you're going to pick it up. If, like oil painting, for example, or woodworking, anything where you're using chemicals, you've just got to be, you've got to be smart and you've got to follow yeah. the instructions and you've got to do it yeah. safely because if it's going to cause you physical harm, then it's not worth doing as far as, you know, a hobby goes. Yeah. I mean, back in the day, they either didn't tell you or you found out the hard way. Or you didn't um, care. Now, People didn't care. Yeah. I just, you're using what they gave you, and it must be safe. They sold it to yeah. me. Yeah, pretty much. So, <laughs> But, uh, no, it sounds yeah. like a lot of fun. Uh, so you, okay, so if you do know of, um, if, if uh, there are people that want to get in touch, I'll, I'll pass them on to you if that's okay. Certainly. I uh, want to learn more about model building, uh, airplanes in general, because we're talking with someone who is, in addition to being a model builder, also has experience working on the physical airplanes, which is really a neat thing. I mean, you must be the, the hero of your group, or are you the guy that's like when when your buddies are putting their model planes together, you're strutting around like Cl- Cliff Clavin saying, "Ah, that's not how we used to do it back in the day." <laughs> Oh, um, when I was younger, I was, you know, excited about what I did. And, yeah. and you know, I have since moved on from working in aviation. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, there were times when I would like, oh, you know, you could, you know, these are built this way because they had to do that. It's a neat perspective that not everyone has. Yeah. Um, 
it was a great experience. I had a great deal of fun. Um, my father and I, um, barring, you know, the past episode with COVID, uh, whether I was working in aviation or not, would hop in the car and go to an air show, whether it be in Ontario or, or some state in the United States, mm-hmm. uh, where we would see all kinds of stuff we'd only ever seen in movies or in books. Well, it's really nice that they are able to, and it's not cheap. It's nice that they're able to, air air clubs, flying clubs around the world are able to gather the resources to keep these planes in flying condition because as we said earlier i think we mentioned it uh, if it's going to atrophy it's not going to be safe to fly i mean cars are one thing if you break down to the side of the road that's a shame call a tow truck you break down when you're flying over a city that's a that's devastating that's yeah that's a totally <laughs> yeah so, totally but the, so the fact that they're problem. able to take these these machines these works of art and maintain them and fly them because there's no point having it. It's it. If you have an antique chair that no one can sit in, that's not a chair anymore. That's just an antique. Exactly. You want, if it's an antique plane, it's got to fly. If it's an antique car, it's got to drive. In my view, I, I you know. No, I, I agree. Um, there are individuals, private individuals, have a, a good deal of money and an enthusiasm for aviation, who are taking aircraft that haven't flown in years or, or finding older aircraft and restoring them to flying condition. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's fantastic. It's exciting. It's, it's making something work again. It's making history come Um, alive. It's really bringing it to a visceral. Um, Yeah. It's a, there's a visceral aspect to it. Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of a lot of excitement gets um you know is made over war planes mm-hmm. um uh, especially if there's the you know the history and the stories and the battles and 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 that becomes part well, of nostalgia well and let's let's um, let's not let's not over or let's not not mention the propaganda aspect of it and all the war well, movies that always, came out there's always that, propaganda. It, they, there's a very romanticizing of the air force and and i'm not knocking the air force oh no you're, but you're, but you're, the but there's a definite we have a nostalgia for this kind of the good guys fighting the bad guys and yeah it, it's the conflict story it's the that, conflict that story kind of it. arc um right that being said, I mean, I've worked with people who experienced those things, mm-hmm. um, and had to, you know, and, and went through things, um, and afterwards made life, uh, made uh, a living working in civilian airlines or as a technicians. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet there are some, I'm sure that wouldn't go near an airplane again for all I've, the money in the world. I've met people. I've yeah. met all kinds of people like that who, uh, you know, I met a gentleman who learned how to fly bombers. Mm-hmm. And when he graduated course, his course here in Canada and was get, being sent overseas, within a week uh, before he could get his papers, uh, the war ended and he never touched an airplane again. Hmm. You know? Um, well, like, yeah. It, it wasn't his interest. It was something he had to do at the time. Yeah. Um, I've also, um, at an air show in the United States, helped... Um, a German pilot from World War II who was flying against the Allies mm-hmm. um, prep his glider for a display because he was, um, for for as long as I can remember, I've seen him at, at air shows, mm-hmm. um, flown his glider. Um, he had become an American it? citizen after the war, and he flew his glider um, to display 
its capabilities and the freedom of flight and that. And so, so this as, is not a model you're talking. This is a this no. Is a this is an actual glider, wow. an aircraft towed, towed behind another airplane, and then he would he would soar and do aerobatics with this glider, which doesn't have an engine, which, uh, you know, it was just amazing to see. Yeah. You know, there's a gliding club just south of us here in Cambridge. Oh, yes. Yeah. Every time we go past that, my, you know, I have to, you know, Timmy has to make <laughs> me look at the road, you know, any airport, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. But no, it's, uh, it's yeah, we're surrounded by aviation. <laughs> we are. We've got some, we're really blessed for choice around here. Yeah. So, uh, I, I, Will, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you've got a lot, you know, there, there are other ways you could spend your Sunday afternoon. So I'm glad you want to talk planes with us for a little while. And, uh, yeah, if you don't mind, if, if anyone wants to get any more information about uh, model building in general or model building of aircraft in particular, I hope you don't mind if I send them your way. No, it would be my pleasure. Um, okay. Great. I listened to your uh, your discussion with the uh, the professor there. Oh, the uh, the space um, one. Oh, quarterbacks, yeah. Yes, and I'm I'm like, yeah, I'm nodding my head because one of my other interests is I have a telescope, <laughs> um, <laughs> and the space shuttle had wings, so of course I was interested in that. Right. That's just higher up in the sky, so that <laughs> was that was a uh, I enjoyed that. Well, I don't know if you're if you're logged if you're on his uh, Facebook. Uh, uh, but check him out because he does that star guide. If you're into this, if you're into this, yeah, I've been getting the them since. And oh, excellent! Uh, I'll let him know. And, I'll tell him. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, if it's in the sky, it's interesting. I mean, I have an app on my phone that tells me when the space station is going to be going by. <laughs> you know, and I've I've literally stood on the doorstep and watched it here in town. I was like, I didn't know it was back. That's <laughs> so. pretty cool. It's nice that we can still see stars in Cambridge. Oh, yeah. They they changed to the new LED lighting and it doesn't broadcast <laughs> out as much. It's straight down and it does wonders. Um um Oh, you mean the sorry. space station? I thought you meant the stars. <laughs> oh, either. I mean seeing stars in town is almost it's like where did those come from? They're not supposed to be here. But, <laughs> no, uh, I, yeah, it's but I can I can go out while I'm walking Molly, and and while she's doing her business, I'm looking at the constellations that I've always seen, you know. And and there's a comet right now in the northern sky between two of the constant, you know, the North Star and you know whatever. Yeah. And that the last time it was here, there were dinosaurs roaming around. So that's kind of neat. <laughs> It is really neat. All right, uh, Will, I appreciate your time, uh, and I'll send you all the uh, links later today or by the end of tomorrow, at least. Great. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Oh, my Um, pleasure. I find find what you do fascinating on a good day, so I'm glad glad I could help. Well, you you uh, definitely added to the fascination. (laughs) I really really appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon. All right, thanks. All right, bye-bye. Bye. And that will just about do it for this week's installment of Mondo Rando and the best of what's out there on MidtownRadio.ca. My name has been Randolph J. I sincerely thank you for joining me, and I especially want to send thanks out to our good friend Will Dixon for sharing his passion about constructing model airplanes. If you're interested in learning more about how to construct your own model airplane, or you want to join a group of like-minded individuals, please do let me know, and I will pass that information along to Will. My email address is mondorandoradio at gmail.com, and you can also find Mondo Rando on Facebook, and Mondo Rando Radio on Instagram. Now get out there, have a wonderful week, and whatever you do, try to find a little extra time to share your passion where appropriate. Have a great day. Back soon. Bye-bye for now.